Welcome to GEHB. It is a solo show today, and I want to start off by wishing a very happy Grandparents' Day this Sunday, September 10th, to all of the boomers and multi-generational teen moms that listen to the show. We are going solo today, the third or the Labor Day weekend, the nice three-day weekend. It was awesome to watch an ungodly amount of football, and as Stephen Godfrey would say, I am a garbage disposal for this. There is no sugarcoating it. It is unhealthy. I have a five-legger waiting this weekend consisting entirely of Sunbelt and Conference USA games. Uh, this is not an endorsement for gambling, but you don't become me. But the, Jeff and I, you know, we got with the three-day weekend, uh, both of our real jobs, they kind of slid our weekly meeting schedule back a day. And so the only time where we had that it lined up uh, was to record this Friday afternoon. But I have a very impressionable daughter who requested to go to the game because she has some friends who are going to the game. And she said, Dad, why have we gone to Arizona football games, but we have never been to a BYU game? So lo and behold, I will not be able to record with Jeff this afternoon because I will be on a flight from Phoenix to Salt Lake City Dear Provo Airport, I know you are resurfacing and you're trying to get that resurfacing of the runway done before conference weekend in two weeks, but come on, you could have done that in like July. You could have done it in September. I don't know. Maybe there's enough people flying in to the Provo Airport that they can't do it because of all the, they don't want to do it because of like EFI and education week and all that stuff and sports camps. So maybe they didn't want to do it in the summer because it's too busy. But it's shut down for two weeks, which makes an area very inconvenient. Uh, makes a very inconvenient drive down up to. I have to drive all the way into Phoenix, and then my parents are going to pick me up in Salt Lake. It's a whole fiasco when I could just hop on a Legion for ten minutes away. But we do have SUU this week. You know, we there's been much has been said about uh, the game last week. It was definitely an abysmal offensive showing, and there's a number of reasons for that. And I think the biggest thing is you know the, the offense wasn't gelling it's not a surprise I and mean, you look at it if you take a step back you see that nine of the 11 players on the offense are in new positions like yes we were returning kingsley and connor pay on the offensive line but we're still adding three new guys waylon lapawaho starting the left guard coming in from utah state we got caleb etn at right tackle coming from oklahoma state who notably etn was the only offensive lineman a starter that did not play the entire game. Braden Kime came in for about 20% of the snaps last Saturday. So that's something to watch is that if ETN struggles uh, again tomorrow, I think the leash is going to be short there because, uh, you know, Paul Miley starting at center transferred down from Utah. There's three transfers on the offensive line. Um, and then Connor Pay moved from center to right guard. So we have two returning starters, but there are new positions and three transfers. So four of the five offensive linemen played every snap. And then Kime came in for ETN and, and, at about 20% of those snaps. So that is something moderate. And really, it's just a timing issue. We saw it early in the season with Chris Brooks last year, and then he ended up having, you know, he averaged higher, you know, had a higher yard per carry average than Tyler Algier did the previous season, but it took him a little bit to get going just because he was coming from a gap scheme, you know, going into this wide zone offense where it is very simple, but everything is timing based and just being able to trust your linemen and using your blocks more so than just putting your head down and ramming through, just using your blocks and getting one cut and cutting underneath guys. Which if you go back and watch tape of Tyler Algier, 
that's what you saw. And the wide zone scheme is very, very prevalent in Texas high school football. And so it's not a surprise to me that LJ Martin came in and he was able to kind of see those on top of that. If you listen to uh, Connor Pay's interview with Jay catch um, over on locked on Cougars, they, you know, he said that they, the Sam Houston defense if front was doing the equivalent of the, uh, Bill Yost, we will blitz all night and said that they were running a ton of things. And it's, you know, you see, uh, you see a ton of stuff, right. And it's, but it's less common to see that many in the first game of the season. And really they were going all out. They wanted to make a statement and good for them. Good for Casey Keeler. Um, and you know, trying to have his guys and it's not a team of scrubs. Like, yes, they are. The Sam Houston was a team that this was their first game as an FBS program, but they won the FCS national championship. They registered a bunch of guys. They had a bunch of returning talent and the top end of the FCS is better than the bottom end of the FBS. So this is like, you know, you play a Mac school or, you know, some of the lower end mountain West schools, you know, you have these um, or the lower, you know, the Louisiana Monroe's of the world, right? You have, out of the Sunbelt that you have these lower end programs that are just starring for talent. But then there's a lot of guys who are like, well, if I'm not, I don't want to, don't want to go to Monroe. I'd rather go to, you know, I'd rather go to Sam Houston state or North Dakota state or South Dakota state and have a chance to win a title. And that's, you know, why you're seeing programs like James Madison and just, you know, they came up and then won nine games last year. They weren't eligible to play in the Sunbelt conference championship or go to a bowl game last year, but they should have been um, in my opinion. And they, uh, they won nine games last year, and they're a seven-point favorite on the road against Virginia. Um, they're a seven-point favorite on the road against the Virginia Cavaliers. Uh, you know, going down in Charlottesville, and so there's not a there just is a lot of talent consolidated at the very top end of these FCS programs. And so their first couple of years, if you're a top end FCS, FCS program, we saw it with App State as well. That's making the transition. You have enough talent to be good. And then, but once that dynamic shifts to where now you're trying to recruit without being able to sell a legitimate chance at a national title. And, you know, a lot of these top tier FCS programs, they have bigger fan support than the lower tier G5 counterparts. And so, you know, what they do long-term, hopefully it would be ideal. You know, hopefully Sam Houston can go 11 and one. They're playing Houston in a couple of weeks, maybe tomorrow. Um, they can knock off and go, maybe they, hopefully they can go 11 and one and finish ranked that would be awesome it's unlikely to happen but i sure hope it does it would make me feel a lot better about how saturday went but i'm not worried about the offense at all there's was a lot of timing issues and i think by the time you know they kind of started to figure them out in the third quarter they got that last score and then it was apparent that the defense wasn't gonna do anything so then just shifted hey let's just get out of here we've we focused on it we've identified everything we need to fix so let's just you know we're just gonna get out of here with the w um and heading into suu a lot of people have said you know that suu is you know, that they won, they hung 21 on, you know, ASU and ASU only beat them by a field goal. And I don't think a lot of people paid attention to that game. You know, I watched that game. I lived in the Phoenix area and I was watching that game. And when the storm rolled in, I could hear it outside as it rolled over my house and rolled over into Tempe and uh, rolled into the stadium that, you know, they had a, a lightning delay where, you know, it was the first game of the season. So they, similar to Sam Houston, where it was the first game of the season, they got to, you know, spend an entire month prepping for that game versus a week like they're going to have this week. And they, it was 21 to seven at halftime and they were getting rolled. And then they went right at the half. They called the rain delay and because of the storm and then they had to sit in the locker room for two and a half hours. There's enough time that Delane Fitzgerald, the SEU coach, said that he found a sandwich shop that was still open and they got a catering they got some catering delivered to the stadium so their guys could eat. Um, ASU, 
to show how they you know felt about the game that they were asking to cancel the game to just skip the second half they were asking to shorten the quarters move to a running clock they were uh seu offered to like come back because they had a matching bye week seu offered to stay the night and play the second half at 9 a.m um whatever you know they wanted to do and asu was like no we're not going to do that so seu said no okay we're sticking this out so i think if just from a player perspective you know, well, again, also, you know, that one of those touchdowns from SVU was a blocked kick that was returned for a touchdown. So really their offense only scored 14 points. Um, ASU is complete rebuild. They were in a horrible program team last year, like completely decimated by Herm Edwards. And they, you know, I wouldn't read too much into that just because of the hype. And I think as a player, you know, for SVU, if you, you know, you're sitting in the locker room, you're thinking about it, it can go one of two ways. You can either psych yourself up or you can psych yourself out. And they, I think knowing say, Hey, you know, it's pretty motivational and says, Hey, they don't want to be here. They offered to quit. They don't think you're going to, they're not, they don't think you are worth even playing this game because they think you're a nobody. They don't even want to finish this. I think that's pretty motivating. And I think it kind of also tells how the lack of effort that ASU put uh, on the other side, you know, in that game, when it, the second half kicked off at about 1230 and the game finished at almost, you know, three o'clock, probably four o'clock by the time they're rolling in that, you know, there's, um, you know, rolling back to their apartment in Tempe that or their hotel, I think you know that is a long week. And that game, I wouldn't take that there's too much to glean from it. I wouldn't take uh, that there's you know much to it. There, I am interested to see specifically in this game. You know, a lot of people made out that you know SAU runs a similar offense. We talked about that with um, Mataase Tava or Mataava Taase. Sorry, seems confusing. Basically, the same first name and last name. Um, you know, and he in if you have haven't heard that he uh, his father passed away, you know that's going to affect the team. And yes, the defense came up and balled out, and they got excited. But uh, also being very somber for and empathetic for your teammate and who had his father pass away that morning is also something that's very understandable. And it, I did see a GoFundMe and maybe link that in the show notes that he uh, that not only he's one of ten kids, his father passed away of a heart attack on Saturday morning, and his mother has um, you know sister Tase has a stage four breast cancer. So there's it, just very, very hard time all around for their family. And, you know, we'll see what happens with them um, and the offense and see how they move forward. And, you know, SU, and there's a big deal of him because, you know, we said, hey, he he played at SUU. Blair Peterson was an offensive graduate assistant at BYU for a couple of years. He went down. He was the offensive coordinator last year at SUU. So he played in our near exact offensive system coming off. I mean, there's going to be a variation with every coach, but it's coming off of the same tree. Um, but Blair, Blair Peterson is gone. Uh, he went and is now the offensive coordinator at Northern Colorado and joined Ed Lamb staff there. And who, by the way, Northern Colorado did not look good. They lost like 32 to 11 or something like that. Um, they, so he is left. They brought in a new coach who was the head coach at New Mexico Highlands, which is one of the better, actually it's really one of the only division two programs left out West. And he, you know, I, don't believe he's from the same tree. So I'm interested to see how much they kept the system in place and install the coach versus the coach coming in and installing the system. especially considering that Blair Peterson was only, was only there for, you know, a, just a quick cup of coffee at, down in Cedar. And um, so I, that's what I'm really interested to see. The biggest thing that I want to see on Saturday is really just the offensive line. Uh, getting after it. I think a lot of it too is that they may have overlooked S you know, Sam Houston and really thought, hey, this is like an FCS team and just really thought of them as an FCS team, prepared as if they were an FCS team and maybe didn't take it too seriously, which you can talk about, you know, that needs to be 
like leadership and maybe put that on the coaching staff, but I really, any team, if you've ever, if you played sports, been around sports, the best teams, it all comes from player leadership, which when you have nine of the 11 starter, you know, I guess seven of the 11 bodies on, on offense guys are, you know, new guys, especially a quarterback, you are, um, you know, you're looking at uh, where it may be kind of hard to insert yourself and you kind of, you know, you don't want to, Keaton Slovis has done a fantastic job of embedding himself in BYU. You know, he's going to church when guys on the team are giving talks and things like that. And he's, um, you know, and Keith, Cody Epps, they got the joke where they call each other elder and all that. And it, it's fantastic. And you love to see it. Um, but it's with Slovis, you know, where kind of more of your tenured guys that you'd have, you know, you're missing Keanu Hill, you're missing Cody Epps. Um, Chase Roberts was there, but, you know, even then he last year was his first season. So same with Kingsley. Um, so really Connor pay was your only multi-year guy that's returning. Cause you know, he started in 2021 as well. And so with that, you know, it may be kind of hard to be vocal and maybe Keaton Slovis isn't the vocal guy. And that's something you have to figure out where in the off season, you know, you're going along and it's the quarterback doesn't always have to be the vocal guy, but Slovis doesn't strike me as, you know, he doesn't strike me as the max hall, you know, running off the field against Oklahoma yelling, we're going to win, um, type of guy which is fine right there's a reason that Deion sanders um you know has you know he doesn't do captains assistant captains over colorado he's a d for dogs and l for leaders you know and, and there's different types of leadership but i don't know that there's anyone in kingsley i mean he's he's a big softy right like he is talented amazing but he's he's a quiet guy and you know it's who on the offense is going to step up and be that outspoken motivational because you need both you need the vocal guy and you need the guy who's going to lead by example and i think we have a lot of the example guys but i'm not sure who um who the vocal guy is you know we saw in 2021 we had jaron was the vocal guy and who would go around and get people going and we had tyler algier was the the example guy and you know we had that and it was there um and i think we you know and you had the excitement in the you know kind of in samson nakua that season as well of just being you know, of being somebody who, you know, was just always hyped, always happy and just cheering people up. And so what that, uh, what that looks like is you're trying to navigate new personalities, I think is a hard part of the transfer portal and something that, you know, maybe was a little bit underestimated. And we saw in, you could say, you can, well, didn't affect Colorado. I mean, Colorado gave up 42 points to a not very great looking TCU offense. Um, and they really, really struggled to run the ball. And they struggled to stop the run, which the question mark for Colorado heading into the season from everybody was, you know, how are they going to look in the trenches, both on the offensive line, defensive line, they averaged less than like a yard of carry on offense. And they could not stop the run to save their life on defense. But Shador Sanders, he's that vocal guy. And he's also coming where, you know, he's been around and he's, he's been around the block. He's brought in a lot of his receivers. Um, you know, he's had that kind of historical relationship with a lot of those guys. And so, you know, they're passing offense, was it was clicking, but he had all of his guys available that he spent the whole off season with where, you know, you look in, you know, we had, uh, you know, we had transfers that came in like Darius Lasseter and Keelan Mayer. And they were late ads after spring ball. We had, um, you know, we went out and got them out of the portal after spring ball when it was apparent spring ball that we needed more receivers. And now they're at the top of the depth zone. That's not a lot of time. Um, you know, we were missing Cody Epps and Keanu Hill, who are two of your most experienced receivers, you know, and, and if you look at the breakdown of snaps, it was, Basically, it was, you know, Roberts, Epps, Marion, and Parker Kingston got all of the wide receiver snaps. So if you are missing two receivers, you're talking about the bulk of the things you're going. And, and a lot of it, too, is is the biggest issue was just the drive-killing penalties. You know, you have 
the substitution pen or the illegal formation penalty where you covered I, Isaac Rex was covered by a receiver they shouldn't have been. If that's Cody Epps in the game, that doesn't happen. You know, that's a very that's a peewee, you know, little league bantam, whatever your area calls it, mistake. And that should never happen. Um, that miscommunication with the ref, but it did, and that's just sloppy. But that's something that's very, very fixable. You know, the offensive line getting in there that's fixable. Aiden Robbins, I need to go find some tape from UNLV to see kind of what they did. But you know, with I'm not surprised that LG Martin came in. You know, and just as the time that the line was starting to figure it out, that because the wide zone offense is so prevalent in Texas high school football, that he was able to just come in and kind of glide right in and understand and see those cutback lanes because it was familiar to him. You know, it's he ran a similar system, and the style of running has to match that system. And so he was able to get going right away. And I think we're going to see plenty of Aiden Roms this season. I would love to see more of Deion Smith. I mean, that he looked quick. Um, three backs is a lot to be spreading the carries around. I'm very surprised. I thought, I think Deion Smith, you know, with the time he had a call that he could have gone to a G5 program and been the guy and been a thousand yard rusher. Um, but he wanted, he wanted to be here. And I think that says something um, that he wanted to be here and wanted to, that he wanted to be, not only be here, but he was willing to come in knowing that he wasn't going to be the guy because Aiden Robbins was already here and LJ Martin was already signed. Um, so, but I think he's a guy that you could put him out in the slot a lot of times, like we saw with Lopini Katoa, where we put him out wide um, as an extra receiver, where you can create some match- matchup issues because, you know, if you come into the game and, it, you know, you can come into the game looking like you're in, you know, 21 personnel and split him out wide or 11 personnel and then move him out to where, you know, they don't have, you know, you're getting him matched up on a linebacker where if you had brought in, um, you know, some 10 personnel, then, you know, gone four wide and taken a tight end out, they would have gone to a lighter defense and been able to cover him a little bit more. You can kind of create some matchup issues that way. Um, And I think that's something that uh, I would like to see um, because he only got a couple touches, but it would be fun to see more. And I think we're going to get to see more. And it's, this is also part of the, benefit of being in a conference is that you have we have these two warm-up games and once it was clear that the win was in hand and we'd identified everything that needed to be fixed then there was no reason to do anything else but other than run the ball because the biggest struggle was the offensive line was holding penalties the you know missing a block here they're just not kind of being in a rhythm it was the worst graded game that the offensive line has had in a very long time that really we gave them the reps. The entire fourth quarter was, okay, give the O-line the reps. They're time to figure it out. We can figure out the passing game. And we tried the whole first half to get the passing game really going, um, you know, to get the, those reps in against a better defense than what we're going to face against SUU. Really trying to get that going before we head into Arkansas next weekend. And so it's a big to be determined on how that shakes out and what that looks like. Uh, but I think we are going to see a lot better performance tomorrow. And we are going to see the offensive line was cooking. They figured it out by the end of the game. Um, and, you know, the offensive line figured it out. We're going to, I think we're going to see more passing probably than you would like to uh, in the early part of the game tomorrow. Um, really trying to force it just to get those. And we just need those numbers um, and really trying to get those guys going. And so once we, once we see that, you know, we'll get things settled down. I hope it'll be interesting to see if we, Slovis plays the entire game, or if we see Jake Retzlaff or Kate Finnegan at all, um, it just get them some live reps. Maybe, you know, Kate Finnegan plays the fourth quarter. And, you know, with how many new receivers there are, I wouldn't be surprised if we keep passing the entire game, as long as we're not in the situation. Because in the fourth quarter of the game, we were in the situation where we needed to drain the clock. Uh, the game was in hand as long as we were running the ball okay and kept moving the sticks but we couldn't have three and outs and kind of keep giving them opportunities 
um, and keep putting pressure on the defense. And so we even, you know, they'd been playing lights out, but it only takes one drive, you know, to creep back in it. And then suddenly it's 14, seven, and then they got a spark of hope. And then, you know, someone else makes a mistake because they're frustrated. So it was very much a, you know, Hey, we're all frustrated. Let's just get out of here before out of frustration. Somebody makes a mistake and tries to overcompensate or be a hero. And we, um, you know, we don't, we make a mistake that lets them back in this game. Let's just get out of here. So I think if it's a comfortable game, you know, we're looking at like 28 to seven in the fourth quarter, I think we could see a Cade Finnegan and get him in there with Lassiter and Marion, you know, just getting them those reps of those guys working together, you know, getting Parker Kingston more reps on the field. And that's something that I'm looking at. I'm not worried at all. You know, people say people made a bunch of to do about, you know, the Delane Fitzgerald said that this, he said, good luck to ASU. They're going to need it. If BYU play them, they would win, you know, 28-0, to 35-7. That's what he thought of ASU. So a lot of people, um, I think a lot of BYU fans are very self-deprecating and say, no, well, we must, because we look bad. Then, you know, ASU is ASU. They're in the Pac-12. They must be better than us. So and that's not true. And that they, you know, elevated. It's weird. They almost, they knock BYU down to be what ASU is or in the same realm as what ASU is, but then are also just because Sam Houston played as close and was FCS last year that they, um, you know, that they're elevating SUU to be in that same tier or like as good or better than them. And, you know, A-Rod said the same thing that he thinks, you know, that the SUU defense can be just as Sam Houston. And that's a lot of talk because you don't, I mean, we saw it last week, right? If you think that the guys didn't come out and they didn't take the game seriously based on who the opponent was, then why would A-Rod come out and say, oh, well, you know, we're playing an FCS team. There's not guys who don't have a lot of offers, blah, 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 blah. It's like, you know, coaches, good coaches, know to hype up their opponent. And you want to make it feel like you are playing Ohio State every single weekend because you don't want to, you can't take any game for granted. You know, anyone can beat you any given Saturday. They're really good. You have a chance to beat them. You know, they're going to say that, right? Like they, the, it makes sense for, you know, the SEU coach to hype it up and make it sound like, hey, BYU's really good because he knows what's probably going to happen. Most of the players know what's probably going to happen. And they're going to believe at the start until they get behind a little bit and then the wheel's probably going to fall off and down the stretch. And so we're going to see, you know, how hyped are they? What do they look like? And, you know, how much effort do they put into that? And can they keep that going? And that's really where we're going to be able to tell the difference is what is going on there and what is, um, you know, are they going to be able to step up? And he says, hey, BYU is a great team because he wants, if you're going to lose, you want to lose to an amazing team, right? You don't want to, you want to lose, if you're going to lose to a team by more than the team you just lost, lost to, you want that team to be better than the team you just lost to. And if you're A-Rod, you don't want to say, hey, guys, mail it in again. And you also, you know, you want to, as an offensive coordinator, you want to say every defense you face is good because when you put up a lot of points and it's like, hey, they were good and we beat them. That instills confidence. Like that's not, uh, you know, that's coach speak. And I think a lot of people who kind of took umbrage to how that was phrased or how it was worded by him really didn't. I think it's maybe people who haven't spent a lot of time or, you know, there's a lot of fans who didn't play a lot of sports growing up. They didn't understand like kind of like the coach speak aspect of, you know, what is, what is motivational? What is, you know, just trying to be respectful and what is, you know, actually serious and most college coaches, it's never serious. There's always, there's always an agenda to everything that's being said. The media is used as a tool, 
both by coaches, by fans, by boosters, everybody else. Um, that is, uh, that's it. I mean, the only other news I guess we do have since we last recorded is that apparently Stanford, Berkeley, and Dallas are now part of the Atlantic area is part of the Atlantic coast conference. I think there was an awesome article by Ross Dillinger and another similar one by Chris Vanini in the athletic uh, this morning about how some SMU boosters think ponying up 200, ponying up, no pun intended, um, ponying up $200 million and they, you know, it must be nice to be able to say, Oh, $200 million. We didn't, we're not going to lose sleep over that. It's what they told ACC commissioner, Jim Phillips. And, you know, the key point of the article is that the initial straw poll when it said, Oh, they don't have the votes because they need, you know, they need like 12 of the 15 people need to vote. And there were four no's um, was that the NC state was a no. And people were speculating that it was because, you know, they were going to be aligned with UNC and UNC voted no. Um, but really it was flipped and it was NC state, their board of president or their, whoever their president or their AD, whoever was, taking the vote or advising on the vote was unaware of SMU's offer to not take any money. Now this is kind of dumb because it is punting on like, you're going to take a haircut later on this, but from the ACC's standpoint, you know, this one, this does give them numbers to where they, it's going to be really hard. It's harder now to get the votes required to hit the threshold to vote, to dissolve the conference. So it really, it locks in the grant of rights and I'm assuming you know, they'll put something in the agreement that Sanford Cal and SMU are not going, if there are exit fees related to the grant of rights, that it will go to the legacy schools and it will not go to the new schools. I'm assuming there'll be something like that. So it insulates them from that. But then also, and this is something, you know, maybe it's worth it to take a haircut now for the sake of survival later, you know, and this is something where the PAC should have done this, right? And then we said if the PAC had expanded, they could have inflicted the loss a little bit, um, you know, and there was, it, you know, they could have, they could have withstood uh, more, even if it was adding, you know, even if in when they added Utah and Colorado, if they had gone to the PAC 16 and watered themselves down a little bit and, um, you know, by adding BYU and Boise, Fresno and San Diego state or something like that, and kind of really basically nuking the mountain West entirely. And, nuking the mountain west and the lack and really just gutting everything they give it a decade and 12 then it's people don't see them as g5 programs anymore like people don't see utah and colorado as g5 programs anymore and they don't see louisville as a g5 program who you know was in conference usa you know less than 20 years ago they don't see uh you know they don't see those programs like that anymore and so you give it that time and then a couple teams leave, then you don't have to expand. And so I think that's what the ACC is trying to do here is there it's inconvenient. I don't understand the stand Sanford and Cal thing. At least Dallas is somewhat contiguous, less of a jump. I don't understand how the Olympic sports meeting in Dallas to play is going to thing unless they do like a little mini tournament thing where you have a few schools. And my guess is that the schools that don't have direct flights, because, you know, football and men's basketball are chartering. Everyone else is flying commercial that if you don't, the ACC schools like, uh, there's probably not like San Francisco to Syracuse, like Pittsburgh to San Francisco. There's going to fly. Pitt's going to be okay. You know, Miami, that's going to be okay. Uh, but you know, Clemson, that's Clemson is halfway between Charlotte and Atlanta. So you got to get to either one of those and there's direct flights from San Francisco to either of those, but they kind of, they have to go, you know, it's, can there be, are there smaller airports nearby that are serviced by DFW where you can, instead of having to do a two leg flight, you can do, you know, 
both each do fly into Dallas. You get posted up. You can have like four teams there, do a little round robin thing, and then uh, and then that saves on travel because you can go bang bang. And and it's you know a lot of times it's hard now because you don't even really have travel partners. Where, you know true travel partners in the Arizona and Arizona State, Stanford, Cal, BYU, Utah sense where you can stay in one hotel, take a bus to two different stadiums, and you're good. Um, so it may make it easier across the board for them. Where it's you know maybe it's like you know. Clemson and Syracuse and Stanford and Cal fly into, or just Stanford or whatever flies into Dallas and then they can play both schools and knock that out of their schedule in one trip instead of, you know, more, you know, maybe they do something like that. Um, and it's in these non-revenue generating sports where a lot of schools, you know, if you like your women's soccer program or your tennis program thing, you're not selling tickets to those anyway. So the tickets like that doesn't matter. You just, you need the reps. And so, that will be interesting to see how they figure that out. Um, and, but I do think it insulates them a little more to where you can say, Hey, like, you know, depending on how long Florida state and, uh, SM or Florida state, Miami, Clemson, North Carolina take before they finally pull the trigger and leave. Um, and, but where that buyout drops to low enough to make it worth it for them, you know, if it's five, six years and SMU comes in and does okay, then, Maybe it seems a lot reasonable. Maybe Tulane keeps up what they're keeping up. I don't expect Tulane because if Tulane, in my opinion, they're like the UNLV of the South, where it's like, oh, it's this hotbed, this school, and this recruiting area, and this fun city, and you know, there's so much talent. There could be so much talent around there. It should be so easy to recruit kids, but they haven't consistently done it ever. So what is magically going to change now? Because if, in my opinion, if you know UNLV was this amazing unlocked market, then they would have been the top dog in the Mountain West already. And same with Tulane and Tulane. Yes, they won the American last year and they're off to a hard start this year, but I want to see what they do after Michael Pratt leaves because the running game, they lost Ty J Spears, who was a baller, absolute baller and they struggled. And so they're going to play Ole Miss tomorrow and they're probably going to get rolled. And I don't think so they're ranked and they should be because if you finished ranked last year and you were damn near undefeated and then you returned your quarterback, you should start off ranked because you're as good as your QB is. Um, but I think, you know, Willie Fritz is a great coach and so he can keep going, but it's, I don't know if the Tulane has the staying power, you know, Memphis was historically bad and then they got uh, Justin Fuente in there. He ran, Mike Norvell came in, you know, and they kind of, they ran and they were good. And now Ryan Silverfield, it's they're stepping back and that's, they've sold half the season tickets they sold two years ago. So it's who has the potential that they staying power and while SMU, their attendance sucks and they haven't been great until recently, they have the money. And that's the thing was like, you know, Tulane, I mean, Tulane is a wealthy school. Their biggest issue is that they will never capture the fan base in New Orleans because so many of their students are from out of state and they're a small private school. And so there's that socioeconomic thing where the local residents around them in New Orleans don't really feel any affinity to the uh, the rich out-of-state kids school where people who just want to show up in New Orleans and, and party and do Mardi Gras year-round or they go to college. That doesn't really fit with the local high school talent and fans. Um, but the... You know, SMU, they have that money. Memphis doesn't have that money and they don't have that kind of money. And so they're not going to be able to string it along and pay the coaches in an NIO world, pay the players. That's, there's one thing SMU is good at is paying players, you know, pay the players to you know, be able to string together multiple good seasons in an attempt to, you know, build up the program and drum up the fan support, right? Like when you're trying to create something from nothing, which means you really, you have to get the right coach in the door who can win. And because winning will bring out the fans 
and then you have to inoculate them over multiple seasons. You know, even look at Boise, where you know, once Peterson left, I mean, Boise's still the only the only games they sell out is when BYU shows up. They don't sell out their other games, and they play in a thirty three thousand seat stadium. It's embarrassing because there's nothing else to do in Boise, Idaho. Um, but they, you know, get them inoculated, get the younger fans going, and the SMU, you know, you say, hey, we're in the ACC, we have a chance at a, this twelve team playoff. If we win our conference, we can do this. You know, we can. Why, how, why is Baylor any different than us? Why is TCU any different than us? Why, you know, what, why does Houston, this commuter school that, you know, we're SMU, we have the hit, we have more history than them. You know, why, why did, why do tech Houston, TCU or Baylor need to be any different than us? And now that we're in the club again and we're allowed to pay players again, we can hopefully string together and have enough money to where Rhett Lashley doesn't feel like he needs to jump to a different school in order to, you know, have a chance at it all that, you know, he can just recruit. And if they can buy players and their, and their collective is willing to pony up the money and Rhett Lashley can be the guy for, you know, six, eight years, then SMU is going to have a generation of fans who grew up with them being good. And that's really what we, what you need. I mean, that's what TCU has because they were bad before they hired Dennis Francione in 98. And then he was there for three years and left. Gary Patterson took over and Gary Patterson doesn't stay there for 20 years you know, TCU is not what it is now. I mean, he, he could have left. And when they, after they won the WAC for the first time, he could have won after they won in CUSA. He could have left after they won in the mountain West. And then he ended up, you know, winning a Rose Bowl. Like there were plenty of times we could have left, but he decided to stay. And they had big money donors who built a new stadium, built new facilities and operated with the budget of a P5 program or an AQ program in those days. And it ended up getting them a big 12. And once they got into the big 12, they won and they kept staying consistent. And now nobody sees them. As I'm, I think people forget that forever, like TCU got left out of the Southwest Conference. It wasn't because of politics or anything, you know, where Houston got left out, um, you know, when Houston had been good and they had Andre Ware and they, you know, they just won the Heisman and had been good. They got left out because they were awful. Like Houston was in the same tier of program as Rice was and the same tier of program of what SMU was post death penalty. And people said, oh, well, they're not good. They're not what they were. We're not going to, you know, SMU is not in. So that's why TCU Rice um, SMU ended up in the whack with Tulsa was because, you know, they were the bottom of the barrel in the the final days of the Southwest Conference and they turned it around. So I don't think there's any reason that SMU can't. Um, They really don't care about the money. They have the money to do it. So that's something that's intriguing for me to watch um, is just to see what they do going forward. It's still, they haven't fin- had a f- season where they finished ranked since the death penalty. Um, you know, that's been almost, that's 35 years ago that happened. Um, still haven't finished ranked. They've had good seasons, but not great seasons. And this is their last year in the Americans. So we'll see what they need to do. And I, I, that's something I'm really intrigued about because maybe if, they can, you know, the ACC has some numbers, maybe it locks in those mid-level schools, you know, the, the kind that maybe we would like to have in, in the big 12 with the pits, the Louisville's, um, that, you know, you say, Hey, you're not at the NC States where it's like, you're not good enough to that big 10 or SEC aren't going to launch you, but you're still solid, right? That's what that's us. That's the brand of the big 12. Right. And if they lose a couple, you know, maybe they can add a Tulane or a South Florida or, um, you know, or Memphis or maybe UAB continues going on or add UTSA would be a great ad for the American where it's like, you can still create this contiguous league where it's not so much on an Island. The only parts of this conference expansion 
all this thing that I do not understand are USC, UCLA, Oregon, and Washington to the Big Ten, Stanford and Cal to the ACC. Everything else I understand, right? The the Big 12 schools made sense. Like Florida, UCF, it's on an island, but it's like one school on an island and they didn't add more and they're still, they were already in a conference with Cincinnati and, you know, Cincinnati and West Virginia. Like it wasn't, West Virginia was already there and it cuts the travel for them. So it's not, wasn't like terrible, but then you added more with Oregon and Washington doesn't make sense. And Stanford and Cal, like what the, they don't do anything for you athletically. And I guess you can, the presidents who like to pretend that academics matter in this can say that it matters, but they, that doesn't matter in the four corners. It can fit. I mean, BYU is already in there. Colorado was already in the PAC 12 with the whole PAC 12 South Arizona and Arizona state. were in the border conference with Texas tech and, you know, Arizona and Arizona state we, with USC and UCLA gone from the PAC 12, uh, Arizona and Arizona state were closer to both BYU and Texas tech than they were to any other remaining PAC 12 school. Um, you know, they're closer to Utah and Colorado you know, BYU and Texas Tech and Utah than they were to Stanford, Cal, Oregon, Oregon State, Washington, Washington State. Like they were on an island, but they were, you know, closer to those Texas schools. And you kind of, it's a quick jump. It's like a two hour flight to Dallas, not a big deal. So it's with all the Texas programming, it's a short flight to Oklahoma City. So all of those, you, it's, you know, it's contiguous and the Big 12 makes sense in its footprint outside of the weird, you know, UCF thing. But what we see going forward with the, ACC adding Stanford and Cal and the big 10 adding the four packed schools. Just that is mind boggling to me. And that's what doesn't make sense and adds undue stress. And it's, that's where it gets stupid because it loses the regionality. Like it's not a hyper, you know, it's not like the big South where every school is then like two hours of each other and they bust all their games. And it's not like that hyper regional conference that you think, but it's, you know, it's still, it's like, okay, yeah, there's kind of these schools makes sense they fit in like how does us ucla like how does you think of ucla and the types of schools i don't think of minnesota and wisconsin and those things like it just doesn't fit it feels weird um and the institutional fit just isn't there so that's something interested in um i we won't do our picks this week uh because you know jeff was jeff is out um and i don't want to i don't want to pick for him and i don't want to uh you know give him any reason to say that I made bad picks. Um, but we can run down what we did last week. And so last week we both picked uh, Florida to cover. Um, we both picked Florida to cover against Utah. That did not happen. I think um, the game was a lot closer than the scoreboard said. I mean, they, Florida defense effectively spotted them for seven points on the first play of the game. Then you taught, and then they turned the ball over at the 10 yard line. So they really gave them 14 points and then they still had a punch attention to it. They failed to convert a fourth and three when they were in field goal for range and they missed another field goal. Um, and so that game should have been, uh, that game was a lot closer than it appeared and Florida outgained them. Um, their success rate was higher. They, uh, so they were just overall like Florida's offense emerts. I, I I don't know how I feel about this. Baylor looked awful, but it will be really interesting. I'm, I don't know how I feel about that game because it's a real early kick. It's at 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. mountain kick and or 10 a.m. central kick. The early kick 
Um, so it's like 10 a.m. Mountain. And so that's going to be hard on the players' bodies. It's going to be hot down there in Texas. I don't know. I mean, Baylor, they rebound. It's Utah was giving seven and a half heading into that game on the road with an early kick. And I think a lot of people looked at the scoreboard and maybe not so much of the box score and to see, you know, there were a few key plays that went Utah's way, but down to down, yards per play, who played better? And it was a lot closer than it looked. Um, we both took Colorado, so that was amazing game. Uh, Iowa did not cover 23.5 versus Utah State. Um, it was Iowa, their coach, Brian it's been a big deal for a long time. If you haven't just noticed that head coach Kirk Ferentz, his son, Brian Ferentz is their offensive coordinator. He's been horrible for years and he has a con basically this show that he has to score 13, 325 points this season, which is averaging 25 points a game. That's not good. Um, across 13 games, they scored 24 against the Aggies. Um, and the, so that is not on pace for what they need to do because 25 points a game across uh, that was be across 13 games. So if assuming they go, it was like regular season game. So it's really, they got to do like 27 points a game and well, they did that. Um, and then I had, so we both missed that. Uh, I picked Washington to cover 14 against Boise. Jeff was wrong in that. Uh, UTSA was a one and a half point favorite. Against then that game was close down to the end, and um, but the Houston pulled it out, they won by a score. Um, you know, it was always back and forth, but it was they won by a touchdown, so you missed on that one, and then BYU obviously failed to cover. So both of us went three and four on the week. Thank you for not trusting us because you would have lost your money, but if you went with the game, well, you would have been two and three if you went with the game, so we agreed. So don't trust us this week. Maybe don't trust them next week. I don't know. Next week, Jeff and I will be back with the together on our normal schedule. Until then, give them help.